Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Water is one of the most important issues facing Yuma as the western drought enters its 23rd year. Competing conservation plans have put the seven states covered under the Colorado River Compact at odds over who should give up the most water and when. It's as complicated as it is urgent, so today we turn to a bona fide water expert for more insights into the situation. They have literally high priority rights for a whole bunch of water. Wade Noble's here to tell us who holds the most cards in this high stakes game. Plus, Joanna Allhands from the Arizona Republic joins us to explain why she thinks having competing plans is a good thing. Wade Noble knows water. He spent decades representing local and state water interests, serving on a variety of Colorado River water advisory groups, commissions, and alliances. He's a recognized expert and someone we've been eager to speak to for some time. We first encountered Noble while he worked with the Save the River effort. It was a coalition of local water managers and farmers that suggested a way to trim around a million acre feet from the water currently used to grow crops without hurting the harvest. We begin our conversation with an update on that proposal. Well, the Save the River Coalition has been parked. We uh, submitted a proposal to Reclamation. Uh, they soundly rejected the proposal uh, and has subsequently talked to us about different alternatives. But the Save the River uh, effort uh, was to get one million acre feet of water from agriculture in the lower basin by getting agriculture to conserve one acre foot per acre of the approximately one million acres in the lower basin. That has been parked as we have embarked on different areas, but we are now working in response to the Bureau of Reclamation's request for proposals uh, regarding what things may be done. Uh, they have a 1A, 1B, they have a 2 uh, type set up for those, those proposals. And that would, work, that would work outside of the actual negotiations under the compact? Well, it would work uh, in conjunction ah. with the negotiations under the compact. Uh, the negotiations under the compact that uh, are likely taking place are those in preparing to review and revise guidelines for the operation of the river under drought conditions. The initial set of guidelines was developed in 2007 and by their very uh, existence, they are up for renegotiation again in 2026. In the meantime, I'm sure you're very familiar with the six-state proposal that went to Bureau of Rec and with California's refusal to sign off on that. J.P. Hamby, who's the California Water Commissioner as well as the IID Vice Chairman um, over in the Imperial Valley, told me that the reason that California didn't sign off on the on the agreement was because it ignored the law of the river and it didn't follow water rights hierarchies. Can you just tell us, for us novices, first off, you hear a lot of talk about the law of the river. 
What is the law of the river, Wade? Well, the law of the river is everything that's happened that affects water rights on the river. Uh, and it began, well, it really didn't even begin back in 1922. There was precedent before that in determining how rivers in the United States could be appropriated and used. And uh, representatives from each of the seven basin states, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, and California met in New Mexico at a location named Bishop's Lodge. And they worked and worked and worked. And finally, the uh, U.S. Secretary of Commerce uh, pushed them into a, an agreement and they got it done. And it became the 1922 Colorado River Compact by which the waters of the Colorado River were divided by agreement among the seven basin states. It seems like California holds all the cards. Well, not all the cards, but a lot of the cards. Is that a correct assessment? Yes, that is a correct assessment. Um, what happened when they allocated the Colorado River, they divided it into two basins, an upper basin and a lower basin. And based upon the hydrology and the studies and the data that they had in front of them at the time, each of the two basins, upper and lower, got 7.5 million acre feet because they calculated and were able to show that you could expect to get 15 million acre feet of runoff uh, on an average into the system. And in the lower basin, they sh um, divided up the 7.5 million acre feet with 4.4 million acre feet to California, 2.8 million acre feet to Arizona, and 300,000 acre feet to Nevada. So you can see just by that alone that uh, California getting 4.4 million acre feet of 7.5 million acre feet in the lower basin, but yes, they have been dominant and strong. This may seem like a silly question, but it's the one that's plagued me. How come they get so much? Because they're so big? I mean, how? Well, they... Uh, have a lot of power in that state, political, money, and otherwise, they were diverting water off of the river prior to the compact, which of course gives them uh, a significant uh, say in how much they would get after the compact. They have present perfected rights, uh, that is the right to take water from the Colorado River as a first priority right. Uh, for millions of acre feet. Uh, there's not very much of that 4.4 million acre feet that isn't high priority rights, with 3 million acre feet going to Imperial Irrigation District alone. So that's why they have such a strong position on the river. It's because they have literally high priority rights for a whole bunch of water. We probably will face another round of cuts. I've been told, I was speaking to Sarah Porter from the Kyle Center, and she doesn't think that the six-state agreement plus the California agreement is going to satisfy the Bureau of Reclamation's request for a seven-state agreement. So here in Yuma, are we bracing for another round of cuts? Oh, yes, very much so. We're concerned because a large portion of the water that we use for agriculture is priority three water. Uh, priority one water is the highest priority. Priority two and priority three are co-equal. It's just that they serve different categories of contracts. 
and the agriculture water that the irrigation districts use is priority three water. Now, you don't want to confuse the term irrigation districts with uh, all the agriculture water in Yuma County. The Yuma County Water Users Association, which farms about 45,000 acres in the Yuma Valley, uh, has priority one water rights, but they are not an irrigation district. So when I distinguish between association and irrigation districts as to the priority, it's the literally the uh, statutory irrigation districts that have the priority three rights. And those priority three rights are under attack uh, because they others believe that they can work around or diminish those rights or get water from those priority three rights. And Yuma County Agriculture priority three water is the target of many trying to address their drought issues by getting water from some other place. We're talking to water attorney Wade Noble, who admits Yuma's had to take a protective stance over its water for many, many years. That part of the conversation when the field from KAWC continues. I'm Lisa Sturgis. We'll be right back. Funding for The Fields comes from listeners just like you who support KAWC News. It's individual and community support that makes civil conversations, local analysis, and trusted news on this podcast possible. That's why we're counting on your charitable gift right now. It takes all of us to ensure the things we care about continue to thrive. So please take just a moment to donate to KAWC so we have the solid resources needed to keep this podcast going. Visit kawc.org donate to give today. And thanks. Thanks for staying with Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Yuma's unique conditions and its access to natural resources make it an attractive place to live. But its water has long attracted unwanted attention. We pick up our conversation with noted water attorney Wade Noble with some insight into the area's defensive posture. If I recall correctly, this isn't really even before the drought. This isn't isn't the first time Yuma County's water rights have kind of been, I I don't want to say under attack, but you know what I mean. People have been eyeballing our water for a long time, the major metropolitan areas. So it would seem that Yuma County has some experience defending its water. We have had to defend our water and we've been successful in defending it. But now there are other channels that are being used to try to get around us as far as our rights is concerned. Uh, They're using uh, intentionally created surplus uh, and attempting to make that a higher priority than priority three. Uh, They're looking at getting human health and safety water and considering it to be a higher priority than priority three. Uh, Those are examples of how they're trying to maneuver so that 
they can take the water from Yuma. And are we talking about, you know, like metropolitan areas? Like one thing that keeps coming up in conversation is that Central Arizona Project is going to take quite a hit. They are going to take quite a hit. Um, Central Arizona Project, uh, CWCD, agreed when the legislation was passed authorizing the district in the U.S. Congress, they agreed that if there ever was a shortage, such as we are experiencing for the first and only time now, that they would take the uh, cuts in the water. So normally uh, they get about 1.6 million acre feet annually of the 2.8 million acre feet that Arizona is entitled to use from the river. But that's being cut, uh, been cut by 500,000 or more feet, and they're going to have to give up more. With California saying, we told you you would have to do this, and now it's coming true. You do have to do it, and guess what? You made the deal, and we're not going to relent as far as uh, restraining our use of water, California's use of water, because, just because you folks uh, made a deal and now it's come true and we're the ones that pushed you. And it, in my mind, it wasn't right when they did it. And it's not right now, but what they're saying is you folks have to sacrifice down to zero. That is central Arizona project water rights or water users have to sacrifice down to zero before California gets cut. Well, we're, we are seeing a situation in that one subdivision um, north of Scottsdale that they didn't, their developers didn't secure water rights, and now they have no water. Yeah, Arizona long has been at the forefront of uh, developmental water. Uh, back in 1980, we recognized that if we kept pulling water out of the ground, that there would be large sinkholes developed that, uh, because you can't take that mass out of the ground and expect the land to hold up on its surface so you'd have spots that would be sinking. And so they entered into uh, agreements and contracts and adopted a law that said, okay, we're going to restrict groundwater withdrawals in exchange for them having other water. And we foresee that uh, the lands between Tucson and Phoenix will develop. And we expect them to develop by uh, 2020. So most of the agriculture in central Arizona, mainly in Pinal County, uh, it will be gone. Well, there were some problems with the economy in 2008, 2009. Next thing you know, developers aren't building as many houses as they expected to. And that land in between Phoenix and Tucson did not get fully developed. In fact, it only got partially developed. So we have a problem with the agriculture in that area of having the right to withdraw groundwater, but not being adequately prepared due to the onset of the drought with such rapidity for uh, using groundwater and not using Central Arizona Project water. Well, but Yuma County, let's come back close to home. We have been practicing conservation in the name of self-preservation because without water, we can't grow our crops. And if we don't grow our lettuce in Yuma in the wintertime, our friends in New York City won't be enjoying their Caesar salads in February. Yes, you have that accurate. Uh, we are uniquely situated, and what we do can't be replicated or replaced 
from anywhere else. And so during the months of November through April, uh, 90% of the leafy green vegetables on everyone's table in North America come from Yuma, Arizona. Do you feel like at this time that Yuma enjoys good support in Washington, which is where all these Bureau of Reclamation decisions are being made? They have. They've worked hard on water issues. Senator Kelly and Senator Sinema both have uh, contributed to strengthening uh, our water rights and ensuring that the river continues to operate. Uh, one great example is Senator Sinema uh, was able to get $4 billion for drought relief on the river and other areas in the West. Uh, it was intended mainly to address issues in Yuma County agriculture, but of course it went to the Bureau of Reclamation and uh, they're trying to distribute it, which they are working on, but as yet haven't come up with programs that can use that. In other words, you have to have a program and then you have to have applications under the program and they're getting there. They're working on being able to spend that money and Senator Sinema was the one who got it. Our thanks to Yuma Water Attorney Wade Noble for lending us his expertise. We look forward to future conversations. You're listening to The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Thanks so much for staying with us. Joanna Allhands is the Arizona Republic's digital opinions editor, but she tells The Field her hobby is covering water. Earlier this month, Allhands panned a piece on why two competing plans aren't necessarily bad news for the Colorado's future. She shares more on that perspective in this conversation. Joining us now is Digital Opinions Editor for the Arizona Republic, Joanna Allhands. Joanna writes a lot of op-ed pieces about water, and she wrote one that really caught my eye, and it talked about why two plans isn't necessarily bad. First off, Joanna, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, hey, no problem. We've heard quite a bit um, since... The six-state plan came out, and then California said, no, we're going it alone. That, like, oh, like, the sky is falling because they didn't get the plan. And everybody says the Bureau of Reclamation will never support it. And, like, you kind of have a different opinion on that. I do. I do. And, and honestly, I think that this is a positive step forward that we have to, you know, whether you want to call them competing pos- proposals or not, we have two proposals. And... They have a lot more detail than really what the states submitted individually to the Bureau of Reclamation, you know, back in the fall. So I think that's a good thing. Um, And even though I I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, oh, everybody missed the deadline. We're all fighting and we can't figure this out. And really, you know, I don't think it really was a deadline. I mean, the reclamation did say, yeah, we need to have, if you've got additional proposals, we're going to need to have those pretty much by February 1st. And really it's just a practical consideration. It's because 
we need that time to be able to, you know, do the modeling, kind of do the, the what is the impact of these so we can fully incorporate that into the environmental impact update that they're going to have a draft that comes out in April. So, you know, to me, it's a good thing to have this because we're going to have a lot more detail. We should, you know, when that statement comes, draft statement comes out in April, we should have a lot more idea of, you know, so what's going to be the impact if we do X or Y? Um, and I think that's a good thing. Well, one thing that they are going to be taking into account that they haven't taken into account before in this round is going to be evaporation. Right. And it's 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 a pretty good chunk of water. Basically, it's water that, you know, the lower basin has sort of pretended didn't exist for, you know, ever since Lake Mead has existed. You know, we haven't really accounted for that water in anyone's allocations on the lower basin. You know, the upper basin does. There is some sort of accounting for evaporation and system loss up there. But, you know, it's not in the lower basin. And so the thought is, you know, maybe it's time to do that. That might help, you know, save the amount of water or at least a, a good chunk of the water that we would need, you know, to get the system at least keep it on life support. That's really where we're at right now. It's it's not building the lakes back. It's not really building a huge buffer for them. It's really just keeping them from going any lower. For both Lake Powell and Lake Mead, at a certain point, the turbines on the hydroelectric dams are just going to stop turning. and Pretty much we're right on that door at Lake, at Lake Powell already, you know. We could have the wettest winter ever and it wouldn't even have an, an impact. Even the modeling has said that, you know, it, it would take multiple wet winters really to do a whole lot. And, and you know, the this is the modeling from Reclamation that said, you know, you you could have a wet winter followed by some dry winters because that often is the pattern and it really isn't going to do anything. It might buy you a little bit of time, but not much. That was the Arizona Republic's Joanna Allhands. We appreciate her perspective and her time. Next week on the field, a rare opportunity to see how asylum seekers make it from the Yuma border to their destinations elsewhere in the U.S. We'll take you inside the Regional Center for Border Health's Immigrant Transit Center and walk you step-by-step step through the process. Plus, Martin Porches, the chair of the Yuma County Board of Supervisors, discusses his recent trip to Washington, D.C. and the meetings he had on local border issues while there. We hope you'll join us. The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org, or you can follow me on Facebook. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennig and performed by members of the Human Jazz Company. For more information, visit humanjazz.com. 
Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I hope to see you back here next week. Till then, keep yourself informed. Thank you.